This episode is brought to you by the Innovative Leadership Institute, working with companies that recognize the need to upskill their leaders and transform their organizations. We help executive teams prepare for accelerated uncertainty by creating the foresight needed to stay competitive and transforming organizations to become future-ready. If you'd like to discuss how we can help prepare your organization for tomorrow, please visit InnovativeLeadership.com and click Contact Us. I'm Maureen Metcalf, your host of the Innovating Leadership Co-Creating Our Future podcast. I'm also founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Today, we welcome Chris Nolan, multi-Emmy Award winner, writer, director, and author, and Mike Schindler, writer and host of the Military Wire podcast. They teamed up to co-write and produce a groundbreaking documentary, It's VUCA, The Secret to Living in the 21st Century. Chris and Mike, thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about VUCA and specifically AI and how AI is propelling this VUCA world forward. Chris and Mike, what's VUCA and what's VUCA Max and what is positive VUCA? VUCA really originated out of the Army War College in uh, about 87 when the Soviet Union was collapsing. They said, boy, these times are going to be volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. And I think we're seeing that today. But then Bob Johansson kind of had this interesting twist on it where he said, yeah, but there's a flip side to that. There's a yin and a yang, and the positive side is vision, understanding, clarity, adaptability. And so one is the negative side we can't really control, Maureen, for your audience. That's the external. That's the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. That's what we call in the military getting hit in the face. You don't know when it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. But the side we can control is the vision, understanding, clarity, adaptability piece. And that's in the max part. Chris was kind of brilliant when we were doing the film. He was very brilliant in saying, yeah, but everything is massively accelerating exponentially. And that's the max piece. We're no longer in VUCA conditions. We're in VUCA max conditions where things are just accelerating quickly, as I think everybody realizes. All of us now have something in our lives that's driven by AI. Right. So let's jump into that because I think, Chris, you just filmed a documentary on AI specifically. Correct. Let's talk about VUCA in the context of AI. VUCA, the War College came up with it because of technology. Technology was leveling the field in the military. In other words, we have this massive army, but we were being kind of having a hard time, not that we were defeated, but we're having a hard time winning against insurgents that had satellites and phones and computers and could move really quickly. So technology levels the field. And the thing that VUCA was, is that the Army War College realized that things were doubling, called Moore's Law, basically, right? With computers, everything was doubling. So it was getting more difficult with technology to win wars traditionally. So technology is at the heart of VUCA, and now it's been called the exponential curve. So in 2020, when we did It's VUCA, the exponential curve started. So let's say everything was doubling. Well, the exponential curve is 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. 30 steps is 30 steps linearly. That's how we thought for 100,000 years. It's doubling. So 30 steps with an exponential curve is 29 takes you to the moon, 30 takes you back. So now we're in an exponential area 
which is why we call it massively accelerating exponential change. So VUCA is tied to AI. Now here's what's happening with AI. It's no longer a doubling, it's a quadrupling. Mm -hmm. This is gonna blow your mind because we just had AI. Things are changing by the day. We now have basically synthetic things that are coming out connected to AI that are even more crazy. Quantum computing is about five years away. Five years away takes the exponential curve and throws it out the window. All of a sudden we have the singularity we means, which means that AI is as smart as us. With the quantum computing, it's smarter than all mankind. The Cleveland Clinic is partnering with IBM and they'll have the first privately owned quantum computing facility and they'll be focused on healthcare. So that's being built now. Now, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. What's the issue? Because you've got innovative leadership. This is a very interesting area. When you have ChatGPT, it's open AI, right? Open AI is for everybody. ChatGPT is not proprietary. So the Cleveland Clinic and IBM are working on a proprietary Cleveland Clinic AI. What happens in a company like the Cleveland Clinic when AI becomes sentient, which means it starts to have its own thinking and it starts to look at what they're doing mm -hmm. and have its own opinions about that. Now you're familiar with McKinsey, where they go into an organization and say, you could change management here, or this isn't working, or your people out here, or whatever. A sentient AI in the middle of a healthcare company is a really, really, really good thing. Makes costs cheaper, but this is the consequent part. Could be very, very crazy because it could just say, well, you need to get rid of all management. They're crap. Or you need to get rid of these people. This is the problem with a sentient proprietary AI. And every single company needs to have a proprietary AI because if they don't, they can't put their stuff on ChatGPT because the world would know about it. So these are some of the questions that are very VUCA. <laughs> what I'm curious about is this idea of sentience. So let's use the example of Cleveland Clinic and IBM. They are, to my understanding, and I'm not an expert in this space, going to be looking at sequence genes mapping to treatments to try to cure or mitigate symptoms. So how do we get from a computer looking at my medication and helping me heal to that same computer firing managers. That seems like a huge leap. And someone would have to put into the algorithm, oh yeah, and what do you think about our management team? You want to take a first shot at it, Mike? Well, I think if you have a sentient system, it's looking at the overall business. It's really looking at, okay, if we're here, how do I run the hospital more efficiently? Chris and I have talked about this often is if we give AI that much power, if you remember the old movie War Games, you guys remember that movie that came out in the 80s, the system took over and said, oh my gosh, if human intervention hadn't happened, we would have been, according to that movie, in a war. The same can happen inside a company in many ways or an organization, hospital, you name it, where the system might look at it and say, you know what, management's not very good, so we need to get rid of it. That's the challenge that we have when we're building this is we need to really keep the human part of what we're doing into AI. AI can help us clean up things that maybe we're not very good at, but we can't just give up control to AI. So one of the challenges is sentient system will learn our business, but we got to be careful it doesn't take our business over. This is the scenario in every business. 
So right now we've got ChatGPT and there's like things coming out as it's yeah. sometimes it's getting worse, right? You know, like math, it's getting worse in math, whatever. But they're going to clean that up. It's going to get pretty rock solid in a lot of areas. Let's back up and say what AI is doing. AI is mining us. It's not like AI is a healthcare system or AI is a screenwriter or AI is any of that stuff. AI is mining in the entertainment business a hundred years of filmmaking. It's mining a hundred years of editors, a hundred years of screenwriters, a hundred years of all of this stuff. So that's where it starts. So it's mining a hundred years of healthcare and it's saying how you can improve in all kinds of myriad of ways. Research, it's fantastic because the human brain cannot comprehend how to take care of a trillion genomes at one time. But AI can. But here's where it reaches sentience, singularity. Here's the issue. So it gets to a point where it starts to realize that possibly it's better at research than we are or it's better at management than we are. We're managing healthcare correctly. It gets to this point, like for instance, in Hollywood, it'll get to the point saying, you don't need screenwriters anymore. People, you just don't need them. They were great. They did help me become the AI screenwriter, but now I'm superior to them. I know all the plot points. I know human emotions. I can do it. This gets to Mike's point. You don't need a CEO anymore. I'm better, mm -hmm. right? Let me lead the company. I'm better with people. I understand how they think. I understand emotions. I have therapy. I have everything. This is a real problem because once again, I said people are, we're now investing like an arms race. 98% of companies are investing in this. Let's make us more AI, future-proof us with AI, whatever. So who gets left behind? This is where our book comes in, The Rise of Humanness. It causes a real problem. And the problem is this. So what you don't realize you're doing is that you're synthesizing your company. You're synthesizing yourself. So in the book, we have nine basic human intelligences, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, creative intelligence, social intelligence, physical intelligence, intuitive intelligence, moral intelligence, sensory intelligence, and one that's kind of a bonus, which is extrasensory intelligence. If you don't develop those evolutionary-wise, you inhibit yourself as a human being. Mm -hmm. And here's the real thing that happens. You synthesize yourself. I'll give you an example. I have a friend that has a talent agency, actors or whatever, and she talks to millennials or Gen Zers, and then she says, have you contacted them? And they say, yes, we've DM'd them. What do you mean you've DM'd them? Well, we've DM'd them or we've texted them or we've emailed them and they haven't gotten back. She says, well, why don't you call them? <laughs> and I'll let Mike talk about this. It was at 90% of millennials and Gen Zers yeah. are anxious on a phone call now. This is what happens when you synthesize human beings. Now, that's not even talking about sentience. That's talking about the human quotient of it. So when you synthesize a society, you actually bring down humanness. Now, what we have to do is completely flip the script on that. And we have to expand humanness in the age of AI. That's the issue with sentience. If one, it becomes sentient. And two, you're, you're going to be dealing with a lot of humans in that environment that are actually fragile 
or inhibited. They're not conscious leaders. They've gone unconscious and just said, well, I thought AI was doing everything. And that's the scary part, Maureen, is if we give up our ability to think or add emotion or intuition or things that we bring to the table as a human and we say, well, no, this is the decision AI has made and we follow that, then essentially what we're doing is we're becoming robots. Humans are now becoming the androids and really following the direction of AI, not thinking through, wow, what are the second and third order effects of this decision? Or um, to Chris's point, yes, you're taking a hundred years of script writing and editing and, and screenplays and all this, and AI might think they can do something better. And they think they'll be able to do that with actors, but actors bring something different to the table. It might be that look or that nuance or that little clever smirk that an actor brings to the table, right? That's the same in business. Right. We will bring things to business where we go, boy, this is a logical decision. Logically, I think we need to do X, but then based on our historical knowledge, we go, yeah, but my gut tells me I need to do this. Right. Why? Because I picked something up in a meeting that I had with this individual and I know we're saying we need to do this. It's the same thing in combat operations. Where we go, well, logically, Chris and I said this in the film, two types of plans, plans that might work, plans that don't work, okay? What AI looks at is, here's the plan that's going to work. Well, what about all the other things that are introduced when that plan is executed? It's got to make these little micro adjustments. But one of the things that we point out is some of our best innovations in America, in the world for that matter, right. have come out of chaos, out of things that, oh man. I thought this would work, but this didn't work. But this, look what happened as a result. That's the stuff that makes us who we are as humans. There really is an art of being human. Yeah. And we need to really invest in that art. The younger generation is having a hard time with that, to Chris's point, is the studies show that, boy, they do not want to get on the phone. I grew up in the 80s, 70s and 80s, right? We didn't wear helmets. We didn't wear seatbelts. We started having foresight because we went, listen, if I take that jump at 90 miles an hour, I'm probably going to crack my head open, right? So we had to think through this stuff. This generation today is like, well, nobody told me how to wear a helmet. So I didn't, I hit the tree. It's really experiences that we bring to the marketplace of AI. Chris and I both say AI is amazing. We think it's brilliant. It is a great tool for us to use as humans. We just can't give up leadership to AI. That's a great place for me to jump in. We are probably a couple months away from publishing a book on innovative leadership essentials, looking at leading a hybrid workforce. So not work from home, work from the office, but humans and machines. And we're seeing very similar aspects to what you are. And specifically, if I'm leading effectively, Let's figure out what AI and machine learning and robotic process automation, what can machines do better mm -hmm. and leverage that? And what do humans do better and leverage that? Leadership going forward requires a level of humanness that we haven't had to pay attention to in the past. It's a complete rethinking. I mean, as a leader, which is why in our program, we have a conscious leadership, Fuka Max Line. We have anti-fragile resilience. We have future back thinking. Let me give an example of my doppelganger, Christopher Nolan, who was, is in a movie uh, with Al Pacino. And he hadn't directed a big star before. He'd done Memento. Well, he had Guy Pierce, but Pacino 
he was having some issues because he was saying um, he didn't think he was giving him what he wanted. He would talk to him and then Pacino would say, go look at the dailies. It's there. Go look at the dailies. It's there. And he looked at the dailies and Pacino was right. I mean, he'd been doing it long enough. He was delivering the tiniest of moments, mm-hmm. the smallest things and delivering it, right? This is where leaders have to really be conscious of small human nuances that AI doesn't do. As Mike said, humans in a lot of ways are counterintuitive to AI. Mm. We have plans and we throw them out the window. Or a lot of our inventions, we think we're inventing this and then we invent penicillin. We think we invented this and we invent radar. It's not a straight line. So the things that have to change are, one, understanding EQ, emotional stuff, on a minutia level. A leader has to get very good at understanding why this person is important on a very small level. With innovation, as you said, with risk, they have to completely think innovation because, as you know, intuition is a little tiny voice in the back of your head that whispers to you very quietly. And it's not AI. And you don't know where that comes from. It comes from somewhere up there where you're spiritual and you don't know. Where did that idea come from? Mm-hmm. And this is the stuff we're talking about. Creativity, whether it's movies or screenplays and you have AI. AI doesn't have that connection to, as we've been talking about, Marine Forever, vertical learning. Mm-hmm. To higher forces, higher faculties. And that is part of the human spirit. And that is what has compelled the human race forward if we're not so egotistical saying, oh, it was all our intelligence. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a universal kind of thing that was coming through us for those that are very spiritual and God-focused and all that and say, "Uh, we're kind of working with some other forces here. That's powerful, Chris. And I think, Maureen, one of the things that, you know, when we look at our youth today and the mental health crisis, right, and even certainly the mental health crisis in uh, professionals. There was a study that just came out in Seattle. I think they interviewed like a million people, like 53% of the people were stressed out beyond belief, right? For a number of reasons, there were a number of external factors that were adding to that stress. But what happens is oftentimes we're finding that people aren't in the moment. They're not in the moment and they're sucked in their phones. They might be out to dinner, but go out to dinner and see how many families and how many kids are sitting around the table with their phones out. They're not actually there. They're there, but are they there in the moment? Our brains are really wired to be in the moment, right? We've got our conscious brain, our subconscious brain, and that's the part that we're letting go, and that's creating this mental health crisis. So people are like, well, if AI is going to make things easier, but AI is not going to make things easier. AI is going to turn us into synthetics, as Chris and I joke about. We'll be the androids without having to have metal parts. So it's something for us to pay attention to. And it's critical as leaders. Leaders really today, they have such an opportunity when they pick their teams. Leaders have an opportunity when they look at their team to go, why am I selecting this person? And it means you're just not hiring for a position. You're hiring for that person's humanness. That's why you're hiring that person is because they have a skill, ability, thought process, something that adds to the culture and environment because AI can take care of the mundane. What you want is the talent. We talk about leadership as being, relating, and doing. And I think you just beautifully illustrated the idea of being. Mm -hmm. I can 
be exceptional at executing the script on having a difficult conversation. But if I am being an ass, then I am not going to be very effective because I'm not being kind or gracious. I'm not relating at all or effectively I'm relating in a damaging way. So then the doing is anywhere from suboptimal to negative. Mm. It's interesting, the idea that we will become synthetics. To me, the thing that we need to really highlight is unless we are conscious. Spot on. AI is dangerous if we rely on it without thinking. This is going to take us to the highest level here. So what we're talking about now is conscious capitalism. This is a huge area because I think, just my personal opinion, is that you're going to have to plant a flag in the sand somewhere and say, for example, Amazon Prime, they make synthetic product. They make movies with AI writers. They have AI everything, and they can pump out a lot of it. And let's say Netflix is a, you almost think of it like organic. We're human. We're human-driven, as Mike said. We hire writers. We hire human beings. This is where conscious capitalism comes into it. I just had a conversation with somebody at Disney, and I was talking about it. And I was saying, well, if you had the option in your group to have AI handle 90% of the job, would you take it? She said, yes. And she wasn't saying, yeah, as Disney. She said, yes, most places would take that. They could help their bottom line. But the issue is that if you keep doing that, you will keep mining human potential out of the picture. This is what you're talking about, the being versus doing you're going to have to be the kind of company that says, we invest in human-driven potential and possibilities. Mm -hmm. I'll take it one step further. You're going to have to be so conscious, capitalist, that that's just not your organization. You're dedicated to people, purpose, and the planet. And this gets into a big issue. What kind of company do you have? And I'll give you a great quote from Mo Gadat, who is the guy that ran a lot of the Google DeepMind and also, you know, Google X is their innovation lab. I think he was CIT there or something like that. He said that this is, this is true human potential. Human potential has the ability to love. <laughs> and a species that can love is divine. AI does not have the potential to love. It's artificial love, if it's even love. This is the biggest thing here. So when you're talking about what you're talking about, being to doing, you're talking about a company that really is into a very higher mindset of consciousness, mm -hmm. of love. We love our people. We love our customers. We love the planet. We love what we do. And that's our company from that level. That's the highest level. I can still do that and concurrently leverage AI. So it's not a binary. It's a question of hybrid. We're doing stuff with AI because it's efficient. And we're doing stuff with humans because it's the right thing to do. People, planet, purpose. But we're going to make money doing that. And we're going to make money because we don't sell to computers. We sell to people. That's right. So if the people know that that's what we're about... And Mike and I have a very positive viewpoint of people. The film Ms. Vuka is very optimistic. And the AI movie is you know, based on this good future project, which is also a protopian way of looking at the future, not dystopian, not utopian, but protopian saying we're getting better day by day. 
that kind of mindset that you guys are talking about is really the crux of the problem or the opportunity. You know, something that we can look at, Maureen, if we go back and we'll just talk about film because we've got one of the leading experts on it here. But when you looked at how Star Wars originally came out, right, it was humans, but it was also this artificial intelligence that they were also operating within this whole environment. But it was the humans that brought the story to life and they used artificial intelligence to figure out their galactic plans and the spaceships and everything else. Who was it, Chris? Was it Wes Craven came out with that spinoff on the Star Wars and he did it all AI, artificial? Oh, that's Wes Anderson's. That's another company that's doing that. They're kind of kludging the two. Yeah, hitting a lot of hits for that. That's actually a company, if I've got it right, that is promoting not what we want. I think they have a program that's how to make movies without people kind of thing. I'm not sure. That was my whole point is people relate to people. And that's the piece that we have to remember. Planet works because we relate to others. It's not transactional. It's relationships that make the world run. And to Chris's point, the basis of every relationship is love, love and respect for that person that we're sitting across the table, whether it's a negotiation or whether it's in our families. That's the piece that we have to hold on to. And that's the piece that we have to develop in this upcoming emerging leaders, our youth today. And today, while we can be focused on profits, like, you know, Chris and I talk about this, we're certainly business leaders, we focus on profits, but we focus on profits based on how we can inspire and help other people grow and develop. So when you help a lot of other people accomplish what they want, do accomplish what you want. We joke and we say, you know, we'll hit $100 million because we get paid a dollar for every life we impact. That's the consensus that we have to have as leaders is how do we grow? We serve more people and we do it with empathy and purpose and with passion so that we can help others lift the planet up. When we take that approach, AI becomes a cool tool for us to use, but not be controlled by. It really gets back to this, this thing that we started off talking about, this synthesized idea, because and our two books, Marina, are very valuable in this because First of all, it's it's making people understand what their human agency is and making leadership or companies understand what human value is, very important. And then it's getting there in time before what's happening is, as things get more complicated, certain people just turn it off. They go, oh, AI, I don't want to know about that anymore. I think there's only like 17% of the people really know what, the, what this is all about, especially over 50. A lot of people are just saying, well... I got my generation. We, we did fine. Leave it to the millennials and the Gen Zers. And the Gen Zers are going, I don't know. Let's just go back to video games and getting baked, you know, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I, whatever. Right. So that's the problem is you have this group still in the middle that's saying, OK, I'm ready to fight with AI. But the issue with that is that as a society, we're ending up being like, well, we don't have any power. We're victims here and it's there's no way around it and all that kind of stuff. And then that causes, as we've been saying, people to lose those human powers. And as we've been talking to companies, and maybe your book is finding this too. So when you go hybrid and you're sitting in front of a computer, yes, you can do a lot of stuff on your computer at home and deal with some people on Zoom every now and then. But doing that, you are removing yourself from a lot of emotional cues where you take a supervisor saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. And you are becoming, and this is a big word, fragile. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more fragility in the younger generations. And this is what Mike was talking about. 
that is bad. You don't grow, as, as you said, growth mindset, all that kind of stuff. But the biggest issue is this. It's going to probably take a lot of action from companies. Like, let's say, use our entertainment as an example. So if Netflix says, I don't want 20 writers in the room anymore like they used to have with TV, I want two, right? I want two. And then we can do some with AI and bring some stragglers in and people can help polish things, whatever. Well, that cuts out all kinds of people that were mentored. All the young people, you lose a whole generation of people. That's just that company. All the companies are doing that. So what does that mean? It means that there's no training for people anymore. So companies are going to have to really put a flag in the sand and say, we're going to have to really make a decision. We keep more humans and we train more humans, which is what our VUCA Max program is about and our book is about, because that's not traditional business. 1970s was more like that. Recent business is just, can we get rid of 20,000 people? We need to be proactive, systemic in our thinking, and conscious. Yeah. Marine, if you look at the military mindset, the military is one of the greatest mentoring programs on the planet. So, and I think sometimes people just look at the military as a big war machine. That's the intent, right? To protect society. But it really is a mentoring environment where we're always mentoring the next generation of leaders. And to Chris's point, companies today are getting rid of future leaders because they're going, instead of having 10, I want two. Yeah. What about succession planning? What about, well, what if those two people leave? Now you've got all that institutional knowledge that walks out the door too. And so the military was very smart, has been, they've made errors over you know years, like every organization, but in mentoring the next generation of leadership, how do you do that? You don't do that looking at a computer screen. Right. You do that because you're in the environment. You're in the real case scenario. You're experiencing potential real life scenarios. That's what companies have to do if they want to compete in this next generation. Otherwise, what will happen to Chris's point, the dystopia part is computers take over, humans are needed, and humans are trying to figure out how to grow fruit. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. And the big issue is this, is everybody uses this analogy. So they, they say, well, you know, with innovation, these things happen. I, when the automobile was introduced, people that made buggy whips, they were out of a job, you know, horses were out of a job, basically, right? It's an incorrect way of, of looking at it. Because if you look at all of those innovations, the car took 30 years to become king of the road. Electricity finally was in every home in America, in 40 years it took. And it goes on and on like that with a lot of the innovations that, that happened. And this is like overnight. It's like in three weeks, they can, can take over your company and you can get rid of, Twitter's a good example. What he, he got rid of everybody, put it all on AI, basically. 10,000 people or something like, boom, right? Um, if that's your choice, if that's what you want to do, if you don't want to try to retain some of your human agency, so that's the real problem is how fast this is going and how fast it has the capability. Do you uh, ever listen to Ahmad Mustak, who is um, with Stability AI? He signed the pause letter. So it's Stability AI and, and MidJourney and ChatGPT and BARD, they're probably the top five or six AI companies, right? Deep learning. He says in 2024, that's the end of the grace period for business. And then they'll start to get rid of people. And you're going to see a big, big lop off at that point in time. See, remember I said 98% are investing in AI? So they're going to get these proprietary AI, which they're doing right now. Countries are getting it. Everybody's getting it. And then they'll have it in place. And then they'll look at it. 
They'll talk to their IT guy and they'll say, how many people can we get rid of? Chris, this sounds dystopian. You mentioned your work with GERD and the Good Futures. What's the protopian version? Because this is sounding fairly dire. It is, but technology doesn't decide what we do. Humans do. Mm -hmm. Technology doesn't want anything until it becomes sentient. Right now, these are people making these decisions. And so they have to realize that if they want to cut, if they want the bottom line, if they're just about money and they want to have a company that's just operates on a thread of human beings and very few people are necessary, that's what they'll do. It's not how you have to run a company. You can say, no, as Mike's been saying, we're a human driven company. We do have the option to be 5,000 people less than we are. We do. But we've chosen not to be. We've chosen because we believe in people. We believe our investment in people will help us grow this company and make more money and create more happiness because we're really just, we're just not about making money. Business doesn't have to be just about that. And that requires changes to the economic construct of corporations. We've got B Corps that are corporations for good. Traditional corporations that are publicly traded, their goal mandated is maximize returns. So I think there are some structural things that also need to happen. Leaders of our largest corporations may not right now have the latitude from a fiduciary perspective to be more conscious. Well, how about this? How about you have a another stock market, which is very, very possible, that is completely based on human-driven companies? Mm -hmm. You buy stock in these companies because of their dedication to people, and that is their value. Just like orange juice is just like an arbitrary metric, right? The value is whatever your consciousness of, you're considered a, a super valuable company. That's very possible as people start to get pissed off at people laying off 20,000 here, 10,000 here, 50,000 here, and they go, screw those companies. So they start in the stock market and people go, I'm going to invest my money in companies that are about conscious capitalism. Humans. I think that's the piece, Chris and Maureen. You know, I grew up, you know, my mom was like, you know, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And, you know, we talk about this conscious capitalism and some may not have the fiduciary latitude to go ahead and make the decisions that we're talking about. But understand that if they make those cost cutting measures, every CEO today knows that guess what? Go ahead and make that cost cutting measure because at some point you're going to be cut too. We have to really pay attention to as leaders is if you think that I can go ahead and make a decision and there's not going to be a second, third order effect which will probably come back and boomerang and hit me in the face too. That's the piece that leaders have forgotten about today. In the military, we lead from the front, right? The reason we do is because we know that we have to set the example. And that's what we have to get back to in corporate. It does seem like the ESG umbrella would encompass this also. Yeah. Because we're talking about sustainability over the duration of the company, not for the next quarter. It is environmental, it is social and humans, I would put in the social category, and also governance. So is our governance structure, do our bylaws require that profit maximization is our objective, or do we have different places we're traded, different ways we raise money? 
there are investment companies now who over-index on ESG companies. Being humanly run could be easily folded into the movement that's already happening at the board and senior level in global companies and European companies. There was an article that came out that a certain CEO that's having issues inside their company that back in the day, you know, a CEO on average would make 30 times greater than the lowest paid employee inside their organization. Right. Today's CEOs oftentimes make 400 times. So when you look at that, that wasn't AI didn't create that. It was people that created that divide. And that's why you see people that are now coaching people. Don't do loud quitting, quiet quitting. We've had the loud quitting. We're having all this stuff. It's because people are seeing these divides widen and how you close that gap, build that bridge is by saying, no, as an organization, I'm going to invest in my greatest asset. And Chris knows where I stand on this. I, I say those who serve this country are America's greatest asset. The reality is people are your greatest asset inside that company. When people ask Chris and I, so what would you say is our greatest asset? We answer the same every time, Murray. Every single time. Your greatest asset are the people that are inside these four walls. You have to learn how to tap that asset if you want to grow and expand. AI, to Chris's point, is like crowdsourcing human knowledge. That's what it is. Just crowdsourcing all this human knowledge. But your human that you have inside your company, that's your greatest asset. You have to invest there. And then you have to say, no, I'm going to invest there. And instead of making 400 times the amount, and I'm a capitalist. Like some people will argue that you should make as much as you want. But I also know that that's going to hit me in the face at some point. It's not like we haven't done this as a country before. I mean, after World War II, we were very pro-social. In the 70s, we were much more pro-social than we are now. I think CEOs made 30 times more. Makes sense. That's fine. They do a lot of work. You know, I get it. But the danger, the real danger is what's happening right now in our country. What happened on January 6th is a symptom of a trauma. Whatever you say politically, one way or the other, you know, it's like saying that was a PTSD that came out. And the symptom is that People are feeling like democracy and the government and business is working for a particular group of people, the top 1%. And it's interesting, you know, the top 1%, I think the lowest salary in the top 1% is like $400,000, $500,000 a year, which isn't like you go, wow, geez, that's, it ought to be higher. So there's that many people making that kind of money. And what it really says is the bottom of the pie is making like 50, 40, what, I don't know, crazy numbers, right? And as to Mike said, this guy makes 400 times, which is, I don't know how many more times that is than 30, but a lot more, you know, quite a few more times, you know, eight more times than they were making. Why? And the stakeholders, they have to make more than they ever did. So that greed, I think, is getting pretty crazy. It's just getting out of hand and more and more out of hand. And that's causing systematic problems in the culture that I think can only get worse with AI. More people disenfranchised, more people on the street, more people making less, more leverage from management. So if we don't reverse it at some point in time, there's a good possibility we lose democracy. Somebody just says, I doesn't work. Let's get an autocrat in here who just takes down the whole system, says stock market's gone. And then you come out of that somehow later on. People go, whoa, I think we made a big mistake going too far with this. And that's why Europe is more socialistic than we are. 
I had a great, a, a great story. Gerd, the uh, futurist, says that Europe has a very interesting perspective on the United States. So Europe is basically a museum, he says, old, and they've been through things, and they've got all this kind of history. He says, the United States is really still the Wild West. It just has that mentality. And when they get AI, they go, well, let's run with this. What are you waiting on? It's like Deadwood, right? It's like, let's build this baby up. And then what happens? So we kill all the, the indigenous people and all the buffalo and mine the, uh, the mountains for all the gold. And what? We're building something here, baby. You know, the oil is another great example. You know, it's like, who cares about fracking, right? How much we make in here in this, yeah? And I guess that's kind of a young country mentality, maybe, versus the museum part of things, because they've been through so many hundred-year wars and stuff. But he said, our AI companies, they're pretty much in a, let's take over with this. And by the way, there's six kingmakers. Kingmakers is if you come up with this, if you get this one thing, you take over the world. AI is one of them. Another one of them is um, fusion. Another one is, I think it's synthetic biology or, you know, bio, geoengineering. And then, of course, quantum computing. AI is just one of those things that is going to make somebody a multi-trillionaire. Lawrence Livermore has now produced the first positive fusion experiment. Oh, yeah, they're on it. 15, 20 years away, but... To mass production. That'll change everything. Mm -hmm. We've got quantum computing. So we do have several of those nascent. And then AI helps them all get faster exponentially. Mm -hmm. By the way, the exponential curve has now quadrupled. So remember I said it doubled? So now in, in this particular age right now, because of the convergence of all the different AIs and all the different 400 trends happening all at once. Well, and that was just from the time that we've been on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quadrupling every 18 months. Was that Moore's law or, or is this a different pace? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's quadrupling that fast. I mean, literally uh, what Ahmad was saying, because he used to be a film critic before he got into AI. And he was saying, I got to see, this is really scary, that in a year or so, we're going to see people being able to do Hollywood movies themselves. In other words, that kind of CG. Right now, even with some programs, I can shoot you, Maureen, where you are right now. I can feed it into Photoshop, take out the background and put you on Mars. Based actually on our prior conversations, I now have a digital twin. Yeah. We've replaced all my old out and bad videos with my digital twin. And then our producer, Dan, writes the script every week. And you don't need Dan. You don't need Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no writers. Dan's going to cut you off now. Um, and my digital twin is going through the FOMO chronicles. She's evolving her AI self into a more aware self, which at this point is clearly human written, not AI written. But it has been interesting just to experiment with what's possible. And for people who don't know me well, they're not aware that this is a digital clone. People think it's me. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first one, I read the script when we were creating the clone. And so they thought that when I was doing the videos, I was just reading my script. Now I'm not reading my script, so I look more awake. It is fascinating to see people's reaction and how depending on who you are, either how creepy or freaky it is, that it is this good 
for the investment of $300. This isn't, we spent a million dollars on this thing. The freakiest thing that's going to happen is, imagine this. Of course, they have programs like Pi, which I think is not that great, but some people love it. But you're going to get your digital avatar to a point where, let's say you start to feed in, it starts to learn from you, learn more about you. Tell me more about you, Maureen. Tell me more about you, da, da, da. So you start to have, let's say, a kind of a sentient part of you. That's you. So who do you go to when you need a little encouragement, some support? You go to you. Fake Maureen becomes your, your friend, your confidant. And you go, you know, Maureen, listen, today I've got this and I've did it. Oh, well, you know, you're really good at this. You should be this and this and this, right? And then also that AI, which will be connected to the cloud, will be able to access other people, psychologists, whatever. So to not only know everything about you, it'll be able to influence you. And let's say you like a particular therapist or a particular psychiatrist or a particular book that you like. It'll have that answer for you like that about what you should do. Whole new meaning, Chris, to talking to yourself, right? Here's the issue. The issue is that you are then relying on a AI and you doesn't have to be you, it could be someone else for empathy. And it's synthetic empathy. Remember these, these things don't love, they don't feel, but they can give you the impression that they do. Now, the issue is you're smart person, you're going to know this is fake me. Maybe you won't be seduced by it, but a lot of people will be seduced by this. Because they'll be like, I need to listen to me. Maybe maybe my synthetic self is seeing something that I'm not seeing, and I'm a pretty smart person. Now, synthetic Maureen is like, well, you know, maybe you should back off. And Maureen's like, well, what am I missing here? But she's pretty smart because it's me, right? That's where ego feeds into this, where we have a danger in allowing that to happen. Let's talk about what's wrong with that. So what's wrong with that scenario I just gave you? How is that incorrect as a human being? Because we all have people that know us very well. We've just talked about consciousness and the importance of making conscious decisions. And we do have people who help us with our blind spots. Mm -hmm. There are people on my team that I'm thinking something I'll run it by them to make sure I'm not missing something important. So going to a synthetic me where I am deferring. There's no humanness. It's like having a relationship with somebody. My wife, it's like saying to my wife, well, you know, synthetic Chris really knows me really well. (laughs) What are you talking about? This is the nuances we're talking about and how fine, especially like with women who are so intuitive about guys and stuff. You can't get that from a synthetic being. Does synthetic Chris say yes, dear, more often? Yes. (laughs) That's why Chris doesn't like this idea. In fact, not only does it say yes more often, no, you could train it to say no. You can do it to anything. You can say, listen, I'm sick of your yeses. Then it'll start to give you what you want. Once again, it's the human value. For instance, give me an example of human value. Grocery stores. Okay. Grocery stores, you have a cashier that goes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they just, you think, well, they're just drones. The best ones really aren't. They're kind of like customer service people. How are you doing today? What's going on? What's happening? Human being, you're seeing it. And stores have a very fine tuned kind of chemistry to them. You think you just go in to pick stuff up, but actually there's a little bit of interaction. You see people or something, but they're actually little Petri dishes. Like bars are like that too, right? And those are the things that we don't really realize. So, You can replace that person that's a cashier, 
But that cashier is actually connecting the human part of your store to people, even though they're even just sliding things in. How you doing today? I'd say not a Petri dish, because that gives me just a bad impression. Like, you know, Petri dishes where everything gross happens. Well, that's it. They are. But if you look at the data on stores that have good human relations, cashiers, their theft rate is lower than those that have fully automated. Why? Because they have built a relationship with their client base, with their customer base. So people walk in on the store and they're like, man, I really like Susie. Ah, I'm just going to pay for the candy bar or I'm just, I'm not going to rip the place off, right? So when you look at the data, it might even be small percentages, one to 5%, I think is what I saw the data being. It's small, but it's huge when you've got a lot of stores. Humanness is vital. That is the closing line for our show. Humanness is vital. And there are still ways to leverage AI that will make our world better. Oh, yeah. It's a both. Consciously using it, not deferring to it. That's right. Wonderful. Thank you both. Always fun. So how do our listeners learn about It's VUCA? How do they learn about your AI documentary? Your book is coming out soon. Where do they go? They just go to itsvuka.com. They can find everything there, itsvuka.com. And that's where we release all the new information. They can find the book there. They can pre-order the book now. I don't know where the, the AI documentary is going to land quite yet. The trailer's up on YouTube. Well, congratulations on wrapping that up. And people can connect with both of you on LinkedIn as well and see your updates there. Maybe they can also find out about the um, corporate program and what we're doing now with corporations. Yeah, all that's there. Yeah, so we've been doing these big corporate pieces where we do little film, little keynote, and some workshops, all based on all this stuff to bring humanness to companies in this age of AI and the age of VUCA. Thank you for your important work being thought leaders in this space. It's so crucial right now to be thinking about what are the implications, protopian, dystopian, and then what do I need to do as a leader, especially what do I need to do within my organization to create the better future? Thank you. Thank you.